If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The content of Dark Arenas includes topics and subject matter that may not be suitable for all audiences. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of AudioChuck or its employees. Information discussed by the host and interviewees includes content related to crimes against children, abuse, acts of terrorism, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. When someone is murdered, most of us don't like to think about the details of the how. Closed casket funerals usually speak directly to that. We avoid dark thoughts and focus on happier memories of the victim. That's because the average person doesn't handle the how of a murder very well. It's overwhelming. But there are some people who study the how. These people can handle the details of a disturbing death. Every day, they practice what some could call the art of detachment. Detachment happens in their mind and heart, separating their emotions from their employment. They do it to clearly see all that they possibly can and determine the sequence of events that led to a slaying. In today's season finale of Dark Arenas, I'm sitting down with nationally recognized crime scene assessment expert, Patrick Zerpoli. From the moment Patrick Zerpoli crossed through the door of the AudioChuck offices in Indiana, he looked exactly like Ashley Flowers had described him to me. He's middle-aged and just has that law enforcement detective cop look. He had a firm handshake, met your eyes when he talked, and was immediately assessing his surroundings when he walked inside. He also had a backpack slung over one arm, which I assumed probably doubled as his briefcase and overnight bag for such a quick trip. Patrick's general presence and presentation told me he's efficient. We exchanged introductions, walked to the studio, then got right down to business. Ashley has known Patrick, who goes by the name Zip, far longer than I have. She suggested I interview him for this show after consulting with him for another AudioChuck series called Red Ball. Zip is a renowned crime scene investigator in the United States and consults with law enforcement agencies across the country. 
I come in, I give you my expertise, whatever you need, I'll give you, you know, kind of our opinion. And, and it's your case, take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to take anyone's case. And I always tell everybody this is I come in and offer all my services I possibly can. And once everything's said and done, I get up, I close the door behind me and I move on to the next thing. They have absolutely zero ego. And it's just to, to help them move this forward because more than likely we've seen it or I've seen it before and can understand that, you know, and are able to remove the emotion from the scene and remove everything else and be able to look at it through a completely different lens. I could tell right away that Zip felt comfortable with the overall experience of being interviewed one-on-one -on -one by a journalist, which is super helpful and makes my job that much easier. Something that stuck out to me right away about Zip was that he never appeared to be too excited or too bored while talking with us. His disposition didn't fluctuate. Even when he talked about traffic during his drive from Pennsylvania to Indiana or his wife and his dogs, he wasn't overly charismatic or overly reserved at any single point. He was right in the middle, an emotional constant. And that's exactly why he's good at what he does. I think there's people who are really born to do this. It doesn't affect you. I have no empathy. I have no sympathy. I have no, at the end of, when I look at something like that, my whole, in my mind, I'm just like, I'm just looking for justice for that victim. That's, that's how my mindset is. And I accept everything I see. Like nothing has shocked me yet. I've seen a lot of shocking things, but nothing has shocked me yet. Zip spent two decades working major crimes for the Pennsylvania State Police. He was one of a few troopers who could handle attending autopsies, methodically thumbing through crime scene photos, or staying at a gruesome scene well after decomposition set in. For me, it was always that interest of, oh my, this is really cool. Like, and even with autopsies, like it was always that interest of, I want to see how it all works and ticks. So I think there's people who are born like that, but then I think also there's people who can train themselves. I mean, for me, I think I really ha already had that in me, but then I trained myself to really shut down that emotional side of it, to be able to really look at things better. Looking at bad things and seeing what other people can't is Zip's specialty. Recreating a crime scene after a murder has happened requires a mind like Zip's. When you're, you're doing crime scene assessment and you're doing a crime scene recreation, you know, to, to kind of see it, it through the offender's eyes. And you have to look at it as the offender. You put yourself in the place of that victim and look at that, how that interaction plays out between them at a crime scene. Why? Why is that person a victim? There's got to be a reason. If I always tell everyone, when you can answer the why, you can answer the who is the offender. And that's one of the biggest things. You always want to say, well, I'm looking at this person. Why are they a victim? To truly answer that question, Zip says an investigator has to go into a crime scene unbiased about what they think or feel might have happened. Oftentimes, looks can be deceiving if you're only looking for what you want to see. He says investigators can't make snap judgments or formulate a theory until they've observed everything in front of them. They have to read the elements of a crime for what they actually are, evidence. It's a complete redo. And that redo is working that crime scene and looking at that crime scene and not missing those little things at that crime scene. You know, where the victim was prior to attack, how they ended up falling on the floor, looking at the blood, looking at that interaction of, you know, the victim and the offender. A lot of things, and, and you see just that level of interaction, I've done it on other cases before, can give you age of victim. 
an age, or excuse me, age of offender. When you, you see something that looks immature to you or that interaction is immature and things like that, like the whole big thing is like evidence leads everything. You know, and that's how you have to look at it. A lot of people don't look at that. A lot of people say they're really hard on witness statements, everything like that, and evidence really isn't like leading them where they need to go. But evidence that tells the story and evidence leads. Zip is not a criminal profiler. He's a crime scene assessment expert, though he admits the two roles are often confused. Profiling is a psychological based. You know, profiling is it doesn't look at the evidence at the crime scene. It, it tries to look at the psychology of that individual. So crime scene assessment is basically evidence-based. That's exactly what it is. You look at the crime scene, and you, you then, from that crime scene, are able to tell behaviors of the offender and those interactions of the offender and victim to the point where you can tell discern ages and mental capacity and things like that just from what happens at the crime scene. But that profiling piece is all psychological. After he's seen all of the actual evidence available in a case, Zip can, with a degree of certainty, narrow down a suspect pool. He used a unique analogy to explain it to me this way. I can always put you in the right church. I could probably put you in the right pew. So then that gives you that this is the type of person that committed this crime. Zip says one of the first things that crime scene evidence shows is whether or not the crime was committed by an organized or disorganized offender. Zip easily summed up those two very different categories. When you look at organized versus disorganized, it kind of really just means what it sounds. You know, it, it's talk about what, what is in there before or what, what type of pre-planning um, and things of that nature are in there before the crime is committed. So a crime just doesn't happen, you know, within a bubble. I always tell everybody that. You always have pre-crime behaviors and pre-crime activities when the crime happens, and there's always post-crime stuff that happens. So in that pre-crime, you know, as an organized offender, you know, are you planning what's going to go on here. If you're going to go to someone's house and you're going to commit some type of crime, are you bringing everything with you and taking it away with you? You know, do you have that ability to stage a crime scene or are you staging a crime scene to make it look like something else? Those are some of those really you know, key aspects of someone who's organized. Can you control the victim that you go and, and you attack, especially if it's a sexual assault? You know, an organized individual is not going to, you know, go pick someone who's a professional wrestler to attack because they're not going to come out on the other end very well. If you're disorganized, it's completely different. You see a lot of disorganization within, you know, you see it within someone who uses alcohol and drugs. We see that a lot today um, because they're not thinking clearly. But also emotions and fantasies really make things disorganized. If it's an emotionally driven crime or a fantasy driven crime, it can be very disorganized at the crime scene. An example of one particular crime committed by a disorganized offender popped right into Zip's mind when I asked him to expand on what he just said. You know, I've seen tons of disorganized cases, you know, in my career. One that speaks volumes is is an Amish case that we had, you know, way back in the day that I reviewed. And it was, again, mental health issues. And it's the only Amish murder I know of with Amish in the Amish community. It was in Erie, Pennsylvania, where someone with mental health issues killed his wife. They had an argument at the kitchen table. He actually stomps her to death with the heel of his boot in the kitchen. And so in this case, not only does he do that to her, he then takes a butcher knife, strips her clothes off of her and eviscerates her 
and everything's out on the floor. So he leaves and the kids run to a house next door. They call the cops. As he's walking down the road, the cops are coming up the road and there he is walking down the road with bloody clothes. Just completely disorganized. No sense of evidence, no sense of anything. That kind of disorganization, according to Zip, usually comes from one place, anger. When a murder is committed, if there's a level of anger into that, the murder doesn't end until the anger sates. It's hard to put a cookie-cutter label on killers, but for the most part, anger-driven, messy crimes, often done in the heat of the moment, are going to be committed by disorganized offenders. But every now and then, a crime will indicate that the suspect who committed it is a blend of organized and disorganized. These hybrid offenders are motivated by their anger, but their rage doesn't get in the way of their thought process. They're still able to plan a violent act and commit it with a level head. These offenders are some of the most dangerous criminals that there are. They're usually what we think of when we hear sociopath or psychopath, and Zip found himself hunting one, in one of the largest manhunts in Pennsylvania state history. I never really talk about the case because it was such a horrible event to me because it was a fellow brother. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Now, my little guy is still young, but I can already tell that integrating fun ways to learn is going to be a game changer for him. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can even access IXL on the go through the app or your phone or tablet. No more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Dark Arena's listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com arenas. Visit IXL.com arenas to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When it comes to learning a new language, which is something that's a passion of mine, because, hey, I'm in the field of communication. I can't help but love language. But what I really want most is a software or a program that I can trust. I want to make sure that what I'm paying for, I'm actually going to be able to use in the real world. And that's why I love Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone has been trusted for 30 years with millions of users, and there are 25 languages offered. 25. I'm currently brushing up on my French because I learned it pretty well a couple of years ago, but I've gotten away from it. And one of my favorite things about the app is that true accent feature where you get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. And when it comes to a language like French, I obviously want to make sure I'm doing the accent right. So whether you're traveling abroad or trying to break down a communication barrier with a new friend, Rosetta Stone is something you should look into because you don't want to put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Arena's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com slash arenas. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash arenas. Police say the Pennsylvania man is responsible for a brazen attack Friday night right in front of state police barracks, firing four shots in 90 seconds, killing 38-year-old Corporal Brian Dixon. He was getting off shift at the barracks. He was walking out the front door and he was shot and killed as he was leaving the barracks. And then another trooper was severely injured. That was September 2014. And from the moment Zip learned the horrific news about what had happened to his colleagues, he threw everything he had into catching their shooter. We had no idea who this individual was from the beginning. So I was brought in to kind of make the calls at the state level for this manhunt and for this investigation. My main goal was to keep him focused on law enforcement. Like we really didn't get any, have any background on him at that point in time. But one of the, the concerns was the shooting happened on a Friday night. One of the concerns was Monday morning he was going to start shooting the public or shooting kids at bus stops or things of that nature. And that was a question that was asked of me. What do I think? And, you know, I'm thinking this is a horrible position to put me into because you really don't know. But from everything I've done in my career, I had to make those decisions. And we made, I made the, the conscious decision to go directly at the offender and keep him focused on law enforcement versus allowing his his attention to wander somewhere else. And, you know, that's what we did. It was, you know, day two of the investigation. And we're in front of the news media calling him a coward and basically come and get us if you're not scared type of attitude towards him. And it was all directed toward the offender. It was all for to get a reaction from him and get him to do things that I wanted him to do. I suspect he wants to have a fight with the state police, but I think that involves hiding and running since that seems to be the way he operates. Uh, he is... Uh, he is probably not going to come out and have a face-to-face confrontation. Zip's tactic to have the Pennsylvania State Police Commissioner bait the sniper through media briefings paid off. No other shootings happened, and the stalling allowed authorities to gather more information and eventually identify the trigger man as 31-year-old Eric Freen. There is new evidence to suggest that he had been planning for a confrontation with police for years. Police say they searched a hard drive and found that Freen had been doing research on everything from police manhunts to law enforcement technologies to various survival skills. We ended up finding the offender. 75 days later, we, we found him. Um, he was taken into custody. The breaking news in Pennsylvania after weeks of searching, a suspect on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list has now been captured. I had the opportunity to interview him. He was very mad at me because um, he knew what I was doing to him. But even to the point of that last interview, the stage was set to get him to confess. What was his motivation? It's very interesting. He was a, he was a very fantasy-driven, power, you know, reassurance individual, we, we call them. But he wanted to start some type of revolution against law enforcement. He had written that in a letter which we knew was from him. And he also had some, you know, mental health issues where he, he truly believed he was a Serbian sniper. Like for the last, I think, two weeks before the, uh, the crime was committed, he was only speaking Russian, things of that. Like he really made a mental health slip down that, down that path. 
He planned for this for like nine months and for like six months prior to him shooting at the barracks, he was in the woods two or three times a week, laying there with his sniper rifle, just waiting for that right moment to do what he wanted to do. Eric Freen was motivated by anger, but was still able to methodically commit a murder. This makes him a hybrid of organized and disorganized to a T. He, you know, first shot to last shot, I think it was like a minute and 38 seconds, if I remember correctly. So that's a long time, you know, and that, and that tells you. And I, and I think when we first looked at that case, that was one of the most telling things of it is that this guy was, was knew what he was doing, had, had done this before, like practiced all the time. Not that he had shot anybody before, but it shows you that level of organization that I'm able to stay calm and stay behind scope from second one to second 138 or a minute and 38 seconds when the first shot hit the trooper. And so he's staying under scope that whole time and able to keep himself calm um, and be able to do that. That's, that's high organization that you see there. So, you know, that's the type of things that you look for that can tell you about the offender. According to Andrew Scott's reporting for The Morning Call, Eric Freen was convicted in 2017 of several crimes, including first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death. In May 2020, Pennsylvania's Corrections Secretary set Freen's execution date for June 22nd. But the state has had a moratorium on capital punishment since 2015, so Freen won't be executed anytime soon. Motive for murder is something Zip can interpret about an offender when he looks at the crime scenes they create. He picks up on the small clues that get lost in the chaos. For example, it didn't take Zip long into his investigation of the trooper shooting to realize that he was likely dealing with an anger-driven and ideology-motivated sniper who was a highly skilled gunman with a vendetta against cops. Or else Eric Freen wouldn't have been able to make those shots. The evidence showed Zip what he needed to see. He uses more than just his intuition. He assesses, like he said before, the evidence. Throughout his career, some of the evidence in the cases he's worked showed him he was dealing with serial criminals. That's a person who commits a series of similar crimes, usually motivated by sex or greed, and sometimes both. We often think of serial killers or serial burglars or robbers. According to Zip, serial criminals have high intellect and almost always plan ahead of time. They're organized, but... One key difference that separates them from most other criminals is that they usually aren't committing a crime because they have a vendetta or bizarre ideology. They steal or kill, sometimes just for the thrill. As long as you're able to live off that last crime you committed, you are fine. Once you can't, then you commit another crime. Um, And no matter what type of serial burglar, if you're a serial burglar, serial rapist, serial murderer, it's the same thing with everyone. Serial criminals, in particular serial killers, who are looking for the next thriller challenge, typically escalate their offenses. You have to compare criminal behavior to normal normal behavior. As couples, as people are together, as, as you are as an individual, your sexual desires have changed 
over the years and they're going to change over the years and same thing here with an offender you know at some point in time that's going to get old to them and they're going to move on to something new and there's actually a helix and i can't remember everything like the, how the stages of the helix goes but that serial killers will follow you know ending up in cannibalism and that's the end of a sexual sadism helix you know they go through necrophilia they go through bondage they go through pickerism all these other things and end up at that the pinnacle of all of it is cannibalism and i think that's a really dark place when we think of someone who has murdered so much or murdered to such intensity that it's no longer that they you know don't even see the people as people they actually see their victims as something they have to consume i mean that seems like the epitome of darkness that that is that's a epitome of control over that person now i completely control you zip says the reason so many serial killers are hard to catch is because they're smart they thrive on years of living out deception they con everyone around them for long periods of time and rarely reveal their true nature, especially to those closest to them. And in their fake lives, they can be likable. A lot of your serial killers live normal lives. Like when we look at all of them, Gacy has pictures with Nixon. You know, you look at a lot of these people. Bundy, before he got crazy, was living a normal life. You know, Altamio Sanchez up in Buffalo, New York, the path bike killer up there, was married the whole time he was committing those crimes. So every person is completely different. I mean, and that's the scary part about someone who falls down that, that path there. And if that isn't scary enough, to add to that is the black hole of the internet. Zip says even though serial killers or serial violent criminals live in secret in real life, they often use the online world as an outlet to reveal their twisted nature. And it's in that space that Zip says true evil breeds. The internet was the greatest invention in the world and the worst invention in the world because it normalizes behavior. So if we go back to the early 80s, mid 80s, you know, if I sat in my basement and I thought, hey, this is weird, so I'm not going to do it. But fast forward to 2020, if I go on the internet and said, hey, I'm having this weird thought, I put it in there in a search in Google or any search engine, and I find out that 100 other people are doing it, then normalizes that behavior, even though it might not be normal. So that's, that's the biggest problem that we see, you know what I'm saying? And I think that is, that's what's out there, is that you're able to normalize the behavior that you're doing and you think it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it and find similar-minded people who are in chat rooms or yes. groups where then the conversation becomes, let's talk about these dark things, let's talk about murder, let's talk about sadism, and we're all on board with it. And that's scary. It is scary. Well, think about this. Hollywood has, you know, when you talk about sexual sadism, you talk about S&M, you talk about bondage, things like that. That was one of the dirtiest words 20 years ago. Now it is mainstream because of a movies. They had come out and now it's, hey, this is pretty cool. But if you look 20 years ago, that's, but again, that is a very dangerous activity to engage in, you know, and that is that, that beginning. I mean, there's some very, they're very scary people who, who do that. And a lot of your sexual sadists are in that, in that realm of, you know, do types of things like that. Zip says not all serial criminals are as smart as they think they are, though. Many times they do leave evidence behind because things go awry with their plans and they have to improvise. That's when they slip up, and evidence can reveal that. But the problem is, 
Unless a detective is paying close enough attention, they'll miss the slip-up. The most important thing that you could give a new investigator right now starting his career, you know, and everyone's talking about cameras and video cameras, things like this, and some old detective said, I, I'd give that person a stool. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You give someone a stool. And he says, because you take that stool and you go into the middle of your crime scene, you set up your stool and you sit on it until you understand everything that's around you and just take everything in. Everyone should take that to heart, especially every investigator, every, every forensic person, everyone going into these crime scenes needs to take that to heart because we're such a society that is under time crunch. We all want to get done as quickly as possible. We all have something else to be doing. We're not looking at the here and now, we're looking at the future. And I tell people all the time that you can't do that in this business. Slowing down and thinking through a crime scene and actually looking for small details is a way to prevent a case from going cold. When emotions drive the authorities, that's where Zip says investigations stall out. Emotion and then logical thinking kind of run hand in hand. So when your emotions get up and they start rising, your logical thinking starts going out the window. And I always tell people, when you get in a fight with your significant other, someone always says something stupid because your emotions are speaking, not your logical thinking. And that's what happens at these crime scenes. They get there, their emotions are super high, they've never seen anything like this before, and they kind of, you know, that, that normal way of thinking kind of goes out the window. Zip says investigators who don't deal with murder scenes often should call in someone like him to help, because if they don't, they're going to have real problems trying to solve a crime. I'm not making you go there. I will go there myself. All you have to do is ask, and I will walk down that path for you. I would rather you pick up the phone and call me on day two when you say I'm in the weeds and I have a couple questions or need help, than calling me a year after the case and saying, hey, I need help, you know? Day two, I can do a lot. I can't, I'm not saying I can't a year later, but if you get in early, we can get it done a lot quicker. Watching cases go unsolved, either due to limited forensics or poor police work, really bothers Zip. He sees it on a regular basis, and the people who suffer most from a stagnant case are the victims and their families. I think, you know, that's that's the hardest part, is that you can't get them justice, you know, and you can't bring justice to that, to that individual when those true cold cases that completely come to the end of, there's nothing you can do. And probably worse than that, is being able to finally figure out who a perpetrator is, but not being able to successfully prosecute them because too much time has passed. That's even 10 times worse. Knowing the type of person and not identifying him is kind of like the nature of the beast. Knowing who did something and you know in your, deep down in your heart and soul that he did this and can't get him, that's even, that's even a darker place. I've gone to trial before on cold cases and, and lost them at trial. You know, when you open a cold case, and everyone who's done this knows this, that you have to go to the family and ask them to do this. And you have to go to the family and say, hey, we want to reopen this case, we want to reinvestigate it, and we want to prosecute it if possible. You have to prepare yourself if you lose that case at, at trial, what the trauma that you're putting that family through by doing that, opening all those old wounds, and then taking them to trial and giving them that hope that you might win, and you end up losing. So, you know, when we start talking about like those dark places, that's probably one of the darkest places. I mean, I've been in rooms before with families after not guilty verdicts, and you know, you just wanna 
crawl under the door or something. And he just felt so bad for them. Just all those emotions that you drove them, drug them through. So. Another way to avoid a case going cold is early on using what little information you have as an investigator to see if a person of interest or suspect will confess. This tactic comes down to mind games, and Zip is a master of mind games. There's evil in the world, and you need people like me who can think just as bad as they do to stop them. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you've ever played chess... You know that they say the best players know how to win from the moment the game starts. They map out their entire strategy in their head and can predict their opponent's every move the moment the first piece is played. The chessboard is just a conduit for the real game played in the mind. Moves and counter moves, offense and defense simultaneously happening. One wrong move or misreading your opponent and a game-winning strategy falls apart. The same can be said for an investigator trying to carefully extract a confession from a murder suspect. It's either the interviewer or the offender who will unravel, and someone will walk away with a victory. Patrick Zerpoli always wants that to be him, especially when a murder involves a minor. I could never handle a child's life being taken away under my watch. There's one case that took every bit of Zip's experience and intellect as an investigator to try and get a confession. I think it sticks with me because of the offender's attitude, more than anything. It was a newborn baby. He he took it into the woods, you know, and he hit it with a cinder block. I found the child's remains and turned around and walked 10 feet and handcuffed the offender and then immediately began interviewing him. So there was no, no break in any of it. There's no break of discovering the body, no, hey, I'm gonna step away for a minute, this is pretty bad. It's like, I got a job to do, and my job is to get him to confess. You have to think prosecution. As we handcuff him and we get him in the car, I keep thinking to myself is, I have to get him to admit that that child was alive. That's what I kept saying to myself, because if he says the child was stillborn, that's it. You have nothing. We have to then try to prove, and pathology will never be able to prove that that child was alive or that child was breathing, because literally it was newborn. When we get him in the interview, we start talking to him. We're talking to him about striking the child with the cinder block. I asked him. He said he had struck the child once with the cinder block, and then I asked him, what did the baby do? And he said, the baby cried. And then I said, what did you do? And he says, well, I picked up the center block and hit it again. 
So that one question was able to get that into homicide versus it's a stillborn child. So it's those, those, and that's why it always sticks in my head. And I always, I talk about that when I, when I do training, because that's key. You know, it was a very emotional situation if you didn't put everything in the check and you never would have thought about that. That story really made me think just one wrong question or not asking the right question could have meant the difference between a baby killer getting away with murder or then being held responsible for such a heinous crime. The latter is what keeps Zip doing this kind of work so tirelessly. He doesn't want criminals to slip through the cracks. The long hours and dark nature of his job, like seeing infants murdered, requires him to attend mental health counseling. Sometimes he's gone directly from crime scenes to evaluations, and when that isn't logistically possible, he compensates with his own form of mental rest. You gotta balance everything out. Like, I make a schedule, and that's what I do. You know, this is what I do, and these days I don't do any of this. I'm very good at pigeonholing things and putting things to the side. Like, when I drove here to talk with you guys, I didn't obsess about anything coming here. I listened to Harry Potter on CD in my car on my drive out here. I totally separate myself from everything. And I think that's that's why I can, that's why I don't become obsessed with things. I don't become crazy. He also avoids discussing work in his personal life. 99% of the people I know have no idea what I do because I don't talk about it. And I don't talk about it with my wife. It's very hard to keep a relationship and keep stay married. You know, have this as your as your job. People in, in, in my field, we have sacrificed everything. We truly have. And I, I tell people this all the time. I sacrifice most of the holidays with my kids when they're growing up. This is not a normal life. And I'd have to agree. There's nothing normal about recreating death. There's nothing normal about reliving the trauma of another person over and over. But someone has to do it and do it well. Thank you all for listening to Dark Arenas. If you've enjoyed this series, please leave a five-star rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. This episode of Dark Arenas was written and produced by Delia D'Ambra, with writing assistance from executive producer Ashley Flowers. You can find pictures and source material for this episode on our website, darkarenas.com. Dark Arenas is an Audio Chuck original show. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable, but the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. 
Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 